business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Now I make money moves. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast, a show created to provide you with the practical and strategic advice to help you level up in fitness, business, your career, your relationships, and your life. My name is Joseph Mensel. I am your host. Joining me for this episode of Your Four is Brandon. What's going on, man? Co-host. We're back. Back again, man. Back again. Uh, Brandon, we have uh, four questions, four interesting questions coming from all over the place, actually, for this, uh, for this episode. Um, before we dive in, I want to remind the listeners and the viewers uh, to make sure that you guys are sharing the show. We appreciate uh, each and every one of you who uh, takes the time to share every episode that you guys get value out of, whether that's person to person, whether that's taking a screenshot uh, on your favorite podcasting platform, posting it in your Instagram story, tagging myself, tagging Brandon, uh, all of this sort of sharing uh, that you guys do has has really um, you know allowed us to kind of grow this podcast and most importantly, reach so many people. Uh, with the value that we're trying to provide in your four, in the guest podcast, in the solo podcast, and all the different elements that make up the Fitness Times Business Podcast. So uh, I just want to say thank you for for that, for those of you who do share. And for those of you, uh, perhaps you listen to every episode, but you haven't shared one for a while, make this the episode that you guys go out of your way to take a screenshot, post it in your Instagram story, and share. Brandon. Yep. Let's dive straight in. Four good ones, man. Let's go. Right. Question number one. Question one. How do you sell your products to consumers? What are some key notes about selling products that make customers buy them? Or how do you market yourself to be a successful salesperson? Man, this question right up your alley. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Look, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give my kind of two cents, but then I kind of want to kick this over to you and see what you've, uh, you know, what, what your kind of insight is on this. You know, the, the, you don't sell products, Right. The, I think that that's a, a, a someone who's new to sales is a big misunderstanding. It's just like you know, how do I sell this? Uh, you, we've both got uh, the shameless plug for Ghost Energy in front of us at the moment, right? The new Ghost um, Energy drinks ready to drink. You're not selling the Ghost Energy drink to a customer or a consumer, right? You're selling what the Ghost Energy is going to do. And more importantly, what the ghost energy, how, how the ghost energy is going to make the consumer feel, right? So when it comes to selling products as opposed to selling a service, it's about what is this product going to do? What need is this going to fulfill? What, 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 uh, what, um, what is this product going to do for me? Or how is this product going to make me feel, right? And then I think really it comes down to creating value right? Is what you're asking for the product that you're trying to sell in terms of dollars and cents more or less than the value that the person who you're trying to sell that product to is going to get out of that product in terms of what it's going to do or how it's going to make them feel. If the value is more than what you're asking for in dollars and cents, you're going to sell the product. If the value is less than what you're asking for in dollars and cents, you're probably not going to sell the product because the value exchange just isn't there. And then I think finally, you know, the, I guess the final part of this question, how do you market yourself to be a successful salesperson? Sales is always about people. You know, you can have the best product in the world. It can fulfill a particular need. It can make 
somebody for a million bucks if you don't understand the person or the people who you're trying to sell with and you're unable to connect with them you're gonna have a tough time selling anything what are your thoughts yeah uh you've hit the nail on the head there 100 um you say here that what are some key notes about selling products that make customers buy them but there's no there's no sales manual man yeah. it's if, if there was you you'd doing it wrong. You're pretty much just trying to trick your customers into buying something. Mm. Something I learned early on, um, I can't remember where I heard this exactly, but try and get out of the mindset that you're selling someone something and get into the mindset that you're trying to solve their problem. Mm. You're trying to um, help them, help them solve a problem. Pe- people aren't stupid. They know when you're trying to sell them something, whether like, yeah, making a $500 sale is cool, but you know what's cooler? getting them to come back the next week, the next month, seeing them again. You know what's cooler? Getting someone, one of their friends come in. Okay, so-and-so recommended me. Yeah, because of their experience. For example, someone wants to lose weight. You don't think to yourself, okay, what products can I sell them? You think, what can I, what can I do to help this person? I just, I just think that's huge, man. Yeah. Hundred percent. It's yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's about solving problems, right? And that's something that that we drill into all of the retailers here in the MJ business, right? Is it's it's not about what products can I sell you. It's about what 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 needs do you have? What problems do you have? How can I help fulfill your needs, or how can I help solve your problems? That's ultimately what it comes down to. And then you slide the products in there, and this is the product that's going to help you reach this need or here's the product that's going to help you solve this particular product, uh, this particular problem and away you go. Also, if it, I don't know if it's your business or you're just selling something in someone else's business, but make sure you're selling high quality products. So, I mean, a big thing with me is why I was shopping with Massive Joe's before I started working here. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be like, we're not going to be the absolute cheapest of the cheap. You, ha- you have companies that are just going to be selling like dirt cheap stuff. They buy it cheap. They sell it cheap just because they, they think it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. It's buying sales, essentially. You want to be selling the highest quality product to solve that person's problems. But that's it. Well, that creates the value exchange. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, 100%, man. All right, next question. What hurts more, professional or personal failure? This is a great question. Um, it depends on your core values. Right. There's, um, if this question is asked to me personally, my core values, and this is why this is why it's so important that you have an understanding of your own core values and and really an understanding of core values in general, and the fact that they change for different people. Right. Everybody's core values are slightly different. The ratios they sit in, the higher order importance, so on and so forth, is slightly different. Nobody's exactly the same when it comes to core values. If this question is being asked to me personally, my core values, achievement is huge for me, right? Followed by self-direction and then followed by benevolence. Those are probably my top three core values in that order. In terms of the ratios and whatnot, achievement for me is probably like 90%. And then it's like seven and a half percent self-direction and two and a half percent. I don't know. I'm just pulling numbers out, right? But achievement for me is like my my dominant core value and then self-direction and benevolence sit underneath those. So for me personally, um, personal failure has hurt a lot more than professional failure. And I've had a lot of different failures in my life. Um, you know, personal failures, if you talk about relationships, uh, you know, I've been divorced. Uh, I've 
before before I got married, before that that marriage that didn't work out, I was actually engaged to get married, and that didn't work out. So I've almost been divorced twice, almost, <laughs> not, not quite. Uh, you know, so from a from a personal perspective, and just in terms of relationships, I've failed a number of times. Professionally, I've had man, I've failed fuck every week or so. Professionally, there's something that doesn't go the way that I want it to go. Um, you know, I've had significant professional failures. You know, businesses that haven't worked out, business initiatives within businesses that haven't worked out, uh, just bad decisions that you would go, yeah, you know, that was a really shit decision that led to that particular failure. So I've experienced a huge range of different values. But for me and my core value set and the way that my core values are kind of set up, the personal failures have hurt far more than the professional ones. That's not to say that for you, Brandon, your personal failures are going to hurt more than professional failures or to, you know, the specific person listening or watching this, that they're going to be the same way. It really depends on your core values. For some people, professional failure may be the most painful thing they can possibly go through. Perhaps they run a, they run a business and the business doesn't work and um, they got to, you know, roll the business up or roll, you know, close the business down, whatever that kind of looks like. That may be the most painful failure that they will ever go through compared to going through a divorce, compared to going through uh, uh, a failed personal relationship, would you know, the professional failure is massive, right? If it's a, a career, perhaps you get fired from a job, right? And that's, that's the peak of your professional failure. And for some people, that's going to hurt a lot more than any personal failure, right? There's no like one size fits all answer to this question. For me personally, my personal failures have always hurt more than the professional ones. That being said, I think that regardless of what hurts more, it's really important that you always make sure that you fail forwards, right? Whatever hurts the most, professional, personal, whatever sort of failures you go through, make sure that post-failure or post, you know, my kind of thoughts on failure is you only, you only ever fail if you don't pick yourself back up. Right. The, 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 the only absolute failure is if you don't learn lessons from something that didn't go your way and you give up and you just wave the fucking white flag and you're like, you know what, I'm out. I'm, I'm, that's it. That, is, that's, that really is failure. If you don't do that, it's just learning lessons. Yeah. Right. 100%. It's, just, it's just things not going the way that you want them to go. You making particular decisions that don't pan out the way that you want them to pan out. Taking the feedback from things that don't go the way you want them to go learning the lessons from them, picking yourself back up, putting your left foot in front of your right foot and then your right foot in front of your left foot and taking a step after a step after a step, applying the lessons and getting better. So I think, you know, the, 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 the takeaway from this question is make sure you always fail forwards, notwithstanding how painful it may be. Because if you're already in pain, because of a particular failure or a particular situation that didn't go the way that you wanted it to go, you're already in pain. You may as well get something positive out of it, right? E.T., the hip-hop preacher, Eric Thomas, he says, you're already, you're already hurt. You're already in pain. Get a reward from it, right? Don't stop when you're in pain. Don't wave the white flag when you're in pain. Don't allow yourself to fail by not picking yourself back up. Fucking pick yourself back up, keep going, apply the lessons, get better. Definitely, uh, that's that's the big difference as well. That's why so many people don't succeed 
they fail, they give up. You see the most successful people you know or the people you look up to, man, they've failed more times than they've won and you just you just don't know about it. Um, you say what, what hurts more. Um, not sure if you mean what feels worse or what's more damaging. That, well, just failure is necessary, man. It's, it's literally a key cog. It, it means so much uh, to fail and then just pick it back up see like how can I grow from this what can I do differently like it will take a bit to adapt that growth mindset it'll take a bit to change the inner dialogue once you change that man like every time I've failed at something I've hit it again I've come back hungrier I've you know looked at it said what can I do differently and I've just it's just felt so much better once I've achieved that goal um like every time you fail at something you build mental toughness you build resilience you build persistence and these are Traits you wouldn't have built along the way if you didn't fail sometimes. hundred percent. So, yeah. There's a couple of mems that, that come to mind. The first one is the iceberg mem. Yeah. You know, the one where yeah. it's like you, 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 you got like the, um, the view of the iceberg at sea level and there's like the little tip of the iceberg pointing out and it's like that's success. And then underneath so the water underneath. is the, you know, the 99% of the iceberg. And it's like, that's what you don't you see. You don't see it. Right? Those are all of the little micro failures along the way that someone has learned from and picked themselves up and gotten better and improved to get this little tiny little bit of the fucking iceberg that points out the top of the of the ocean and that's mm -hmm. that success. Yeah. That comes to mind. The second thing is the mem where um, there's, I think it's a guy, guy or girl. Anyway, it's a person with like a little pickaxe and they're mining Right, and they're in this tunnel and they're mining and they're, they're swinging the pickaxe and the jewel is like a couple more swings away. And in the top of the mem, the person goes, you know what, fuck it, I'm giving up. I'm turned, throws the pickaxe down and walks in the other direction. And then below it, there's a guy that just, you know, just takes a few more fucking whacks of the pickaxe. And it's like the, the guy that turned around was this fucking close, this close to the jewel. But because he made the decision, that was giving up, didn't get the jewel. And the guy that just kept swinging the fucking axe got the jewel. Just never fucking give up, man. Next question. Next question. I think this one's a bit more up your alley. <laughs> I'm a manager of a team of 15 people. I try to coach, guide, motivate, and encourage them. I believe they are successful and I have good relationships with them. My concern is that I have none of this from my manager who is a managing director. Am I expecting too much from him? What should we expect as a minimum from our leaders? I'm going to have to make a few assumptions with this question. Um, because if I don't, it's going to be a little, there's not really enough information here to, to, to provide a, a truly valuable response. So the assumption that I'm going to make is that the managing director uh, is one of the owners of the business, first and foremost that the managing director is also older than this manager who's asking the question. Um, and I think we need to kind of go, go from there with, with those two assumptions. I think that they're probably correct. I hope that they're correct. If you're the person that asked this question and I've fucked up, I apologize in advance, but that's what we're going to run with. I think um, you mentioned that this, this question's up my alley, but I actually want to get your input from it as well, Brandon, because it's been... You know, I've been a business owner for over 15 years now. So it's been quite some time since I've worked underneath a superior, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, I have little businesses that I dabble in where I'm, you know, not necessarily the 
top dog, so to speak. Um, but it's been a while since I've kind of had firsthand experience with this. But I will say from my perspective, um, making those assumptions that I've made, you have to exert what I'm going to call generational empathy. And what I mean by that is you as the manager of the team of 15 people are in tune with what is expected and accepted as current management best practice, right? So coaching, guiding, motivating, encouraging, uh, being empathetic to your staff's needs, you know, all of these kind of soft skills that we know are very important when it comes to managing people. But the managing director who sits above you might be 20 years your superior, 30 or 20 years older than you, 30 years older than you. And the management style that they know and the management style that they have used successfully up until this point is not necessarily based on those same soft skills, right? So let me give a real life example. The way that I manage is very similar to how this particular person manages, right? Coaching, guiding, motivating, being empathetic, um, kind candor as opposed to just candor, you know, just like a lot of soft skills used in management. That's, that's how I manage. Someone who's 20 years older than me, in their you know, late 40s, early 50s, 60s, whatever, the way that they've managed people through their career probably didn't involve soft skills, probably involved you are privileged to have a job, you come here and you fucking work, I don't want to hear about your personal life, I don't want to hear about your goals and your ambitions, I'm paying your wage, when you're on the clock, you're on my fucking time and you're going to do what I say you're going to do and if you don't perform, go find another fucking job. Right? Like that's the old school management style, right? And that's, that's worked for that generation. Does it work anymore? Is that 50, 60-year-old going to be able to manage staff in their early 20s now? Fuck no. Because someone in their early 20s now is going to go, you know what? Go fuck yourself. I'll go get another job somewhere else with someone who gives a shit about me right? So there's a disconnect. There's a generational disconnect between management styles that have worked in the past and management styles that are now kind of considered best standard. But most importantly, management styles that align with the next wave of the workforce coming through. And this is why I say generational empathy, because it is generational, right? What a 60-year-old what a was exposed to as he or she was coming up in the workforce, you know, 40 years ago, is completely different to what you're exposed to now as a 20-something-year-old building your career coming up through the workforce now. It's different. Just different. And I think if you can empathize with that and have that kind of generational empathy, it's going to help manage your, your expectations. You know, you're asking this question, am I expecting too much from the managing director, what should we expect as a minimum from our leaders? I think it's just going to help you manage that, right? Because if you come with a generational empath empathy standpoint and you go, you know what, the way that I manage is not the way that my, the managing director managed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. This is all that he or she knows and it's worked well for them up until this point and I can empathize with that. That kind of helps manage that expectation a little bit. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It, you just saying that reminds me of like, 
old footy coaches that I've had. Yeah. I have like an older footy coach. Yeah. Uh, st- stuck in his whole old ways. Um, you'll fuck a kick up and shit scared to look. Just yeah. Shit scared for the siren to go and yeah, just almost put you uh, just under pressure, like mm. the seat pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got the the sort of younger coaches a bit more accustomed to the times. He yeah just understands a bit more, but yeah, it does. It comes back down to different different manager or leadership styles, yeah. and yeah, it, he just needs to. I don't know, man. Like, I'm not sure if you've communicated with him. It really depends. Like, you need to understand it. But if it's if you're in an environment where you just feel like it's really just hindering your work, maybe have the tough conversation. Mm. Uh, pull him aside, maybe, or just talk to someone about it and just say, hey, like. It's just not not working. Like this leadership style, I just need something different or something more. But that's all I really have, man. Yeah. Or don't. You okay, know, okay. you don't. You don't have to have like you know. And this is why I say generational empathy is if you get to the point where you're you're empathetic and you go, look, this is all they've known. This is all they're gonna know. You know, maybe they've got five, 10, 15 years left in the workforce. They're not interested in changing. They fucking they don't need to. They've done their time. They they've paid their dues. You know, you don't have to have the conversation. You can just accept it for what it is and go, okay, that's the way that that person's going to manage me. That doesn't mean that I need to manage my staff the same way, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I think maybe have that conversation if it's like unbearable. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, I agree. With yeah. You yeah. Yeah. Just manage your own personal expectations. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, like you don't have to make everybody align with your expectations. You know, sometimes you just kind of go, look, this is what I expect. This person has different expectations. I'm going to exert some empathy in this regard, soft skills once again. And I'm just going to say, you know what, we're just different. And that's just the fucking way it is. I think, I think that would be the case as well. Yeah. If it's not, let Joe know that. It's a different. <laughs> if we made the he, wrong assumption, he missed there. But but yeah. but seriously, like you know, as I'm kind of as I'm delivering this answer, I'm thinking about you know the bits and pieces that I do outside of uh, MJ's and and TMJ Apparel, and I do have relationships with leaders that are twenty plus years my superior, and the way that they lead is different to the way that I lead. And, you know, I'm not going to have that quote-unquote difficult conversation with these particular people because we're just different, right? And I know that's the way that, that they're going to do it. And that's fine. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. But we can still work together, you know? It's not like we have to butt heads over everything. It just fucking is what it is, At man. the end of the day, they could be, yeah, just stuck in their ways and yeah. you can't change them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Last question. Last question. How do you compartmentalize your life? I think about work 24-7 and it fucks with me. Oh, this is a great fucking it question. It is a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. This is a timely question as well, man, because I um, probably over the last, oh, let's say six weeks or so, uh, I've, I've been under like a lot of um, professional stress. You know, we've had, we've had a lot of things going on as a company, like extraordinary outside of the usual day-to-day runnings of MJ and TMJ Apparel. We've got season eight of the challenge happening. We've just had the IFBB shows. I've had um, uh, uh, keynote speeches happening, a bunch of mentor. There's just a lot of shit going on. Um, oh, you know, good shit. Not bad shit. We had staff movements and just a, there's a lot of shit going on. Uh, and so I've, I've um, you know, found myself in a position, I'm going to say over the last six weeks, where I have been thinking about work a lot. Like first thing I think about in the morning, 
last thing I think about at night keeps me awake at night. So, um, you know, very timely question. Uh, and, and I think I can provide some good advice as I continue to kind of work through this myself. The first thing that it's really important to understand is that you can't control your thoughts, right? I think sometimes people go, you know, why can't I just stop thinking about work? Or why can't I stop thinking about this person or that relationship or whatever it is? Why can't I just control my thoughts? If you try and control your thoughts, your thoughts are going to latch on even harder than they otherwise would, right? So what I like to do when I think about um, how I can manage my thoughts rather than control them is I like to think about watching my thoughts rather than getting involved with them. So there's a really good analogy that's used um, as like a base meditation practice. And the analogy is being on the side of a highway and watching cars, right? So if you stand on the side of, let's say it's like an eight massive highway, eight lane highway, right? If you stand on the side and you just watch the cars, you can see there's like a lot of different cars and they're moving, right? And you just, but you just watch them, right? And they're just going to keep coming. There's no stop. It's going to keep coming, keep coming. You don't have to get in a particular car and travel the journey down the highway in that particular car, right? You can just watch the hundreds of cars, the thousands of cars, whatever it is. So I like to think about my thoughts the same way. I don't have to get involved in a thought. I can step back and just go, oh, I'm thinking about that and let it go. Oh, now I'm thinking about this and let it go, right? It's one of the basics of of, of basic fundamentals of meditation is to observe your thoughts rather than get caught up in your thoughts. So I think that's the first thing to, to, um, to, to really have a good understanding of. So when it comes to compartmentalizing different parts of your life, you can't kind of go, you know what, I'm, uh, I'm with my family now, so I'm not going to think about work right? Or I'm at work now, so I'm not going to think about my fitness. Or I'm enjoying myself working on a hobby at the moment, so now I'm not going to think about my family or my close personal relationship or my work, whatever the fuck it is, right? You can't, you can't control it. So there's a couple of things that I do. The first thing, obviously, is meditate, right? I meditate pretty much every day, at least five times a week is kind of like my bare minimum for meditation. So I'll spend 20 minutes and, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of the um, Headspace app. I still use that frequently. Uh, it's guided meditations, a little shout out to Headspace. Uh, you know, so I'll meditate because that really is the practice of allowing me to observe thoughts rather than get caught up in them. Sit in a dark room, close my fucking eyes, take some deep breaths, and just watch my thoughts and see them for what they are. Oh, I'm thinking about work. Oh, I'm thinking about personal stuff. Oh, I'm thinking about my next prep and next time I'm going to compete. And my mind runs a fucking million miles an hour, right? But it's just observing. So meditation, if you don't already meditate, I highly, highly suggest that it's a, it's a skill. It's like anything else, right? Some people think, you know, you got to be some fucking yogi or some, you know, monk in the middle of fucking Tibet with your, your legs crossed and you're fucking sitting on top of a grassy knoll or some shit. It's not that at all. You know, I even meditate here. I go into the, one of the filming studios here, turn the light off, just sit in there for 20 minutes, just meditate, right? 
anyone can do it. It's a skill. The more you do it, the better you get at observing your thoughts rather than becoming involved in your thoughts. So that's the first thing. If you don't already meditate, definitely start doing it. It's a skill that you will develop and it will help you observe rather than get involved with your thoughts. Then the question is, all right, let's say that I'm with my family and now I'm starting to think about work, right? And I can observe the thoughts, but they're just, they're coming in, man. And it's just like onslaught of work, 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 work. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to deal with this. I gotta, and that's where I've been the last six weeks, right? I'm going, you know, I'm with, with my wife, Amy, and our little puppy, Ella, right? And I'm trying to be present and I'm trying to be in my personal life. And then it starts, right? Fuck, we got the IFBB show next weekend. Fuck, I got to um, replace this. I got to figure out the, uh, how I'm going to replace this staff member. Fuck, I got this keynote speech that I need to be working on. Fuck, you know, like it's just an onslaught. So what do you do in that situation? Even though you've developed the skill to observe your thoughts. What I do is I journal, right? So I got my phone with me. I, got, I use an app called Evernote. Fuck, I'm shouting out the apps today. Use an app called Evernote. You want a sponsor? <laughs> yeah. Where's my fucking affiliate code? Anyway, so I use an app called Evernote and I have that app and I'll journal, right? So if, if, if the thoughts get so intense that it's just like, oh man, my mind is racing a million miles an hour and I, there's only so much observing I can do. Like the highway of cars is completely packed. I get my phone out and I go, all right, let me write this down. I did this on Sunday morning, like literally the Sunday just gone. I was at the gym and I was training and my mind was going a million miles an hour with work shit. And I was like, fuck, I can't even focus on working out at the moment. It was leg day as well. It's like, fuck. So I got Evernote out. I started going, okay, as things come through, let me just write them down, right? And what that does for me is it allows me to observe, note, and let it go. And I go, I don't, you know, if that comes back into my mind, I can let it go because I've already, I've written it, it's here. It's journaled down. It's out of my mind. So I don't need to keep thinking about that, right? Observe it, write it down, let it go. So journaling for me is, is, is a big one when it comes to compartmentalizing. And I did that on Sunday. So I had, I literally, <laughs> where's my phone at? I think I had like fucking like 10, 10 dot points, right? And I just went boom, 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 boom. I was like, fuck, I feel better now. All right, let me go and finish my leg day. I had an amazing leg workout. So meditation as a skill, as a practice, hugely important. And then journaling for me is something else that, um, that really helps with compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. those, those two I did have down as well. They're, they're huge, man. Like if you haven't tried journaling or meditating before, they're just getting your thoughts down, writing things down, getting it out of your head and onto paper, it clears you up like nothing else. And even with writing things down as well, like journal, journaling thoughts, yeah. And then also to-do lists. Um, if you think of something that you need to do at work, just write it down. You'll schedule it in for tomorrow. Uh, with meditation, yeah. A huge one is I'm using it at the moment to to break my day up. So I'll do it as soon as I get home. So it separates. It's almost like two days. Uh, I'll, I'll work, get home, meditate. Okay, now we can move on to the next part of my day. Any sort of, is it solace? Is that, is that the word? Yeah. Solace? Meditating, um, anything in silence, like even just going for a walk, man, going for a walk, just help you just feel a bit more present, getting out, getting into your body a bit more outside of your head. I find those two are huge. The last one in it was it, I mean, this is something that I've, I've struggled with 
And I still do struggle a little bit now, but I've gotten a lot better with the, with those two tools in particular. But the main one for me was prioritizing properly. Mm. So as an example, I handle a lot of the social media and email stuff here. Yeah. And it's a, it's a task that it can be time consuming, but it's not exactly, doesn't take a lot of brain power. Mm. So I'd usually push that towards the back end of the day. Okay, I don't need a lot of, a lot of energy to do this. Obviously, as you know, your days don't really go to plan ever. So a lot of the time I'd get stuck, okay, you get you call me in for a meeting or customers come in or something and I'd get towards the end of the day, okay, I haven't finished this. It's a daily task. I'd take it home with me. I'd be doing it at home. Don't really switch off at all. So getting those tasks that I know I need to do every single day done earlier on in the day has been huge for me because then I can just focus on the other tasks towards the end of the day and then if I don't finish them, okay, I'll schedule them in for tomorrow. So that, that's another one that's been really big for me. Good. Yeah, those three. That's a wrap. That's it, man. That's four questions. It is. Man, we ripped through those. Good yeah, questions. what are we up so. to? 20, 25 minutes? Yeah, something like that. You got another one? No, that's it. That's four. <laughs> Guys, uh, speaking of questions, if you have a question that you would like us to answer in the very next episode of Your Four, I know Brandon's got uh, a little bit of a database building at the moment, but we do try and pick, you know, a range of different questions from personal development to, I mean, what have we had this episode? We've had a sales question. We've had a personal development question. We've had a, uh, a managerial question. So we try and pick, you know, a few different things to give you guys um, some different flavors. If you have a question that you would like us to answer, the best place to send it is straight to Brandon through Instagram. What's your handle? Slide in. Uh, Brandon Verdi. So just first and last name, B-R-A-N-D-O-N-V-E-R-D-E. Perfect. Yeah, that's the best place to send them. If you guys want to hit me up uh, in my DM, sometimes I pull them from my Q&A on the weekend as well. Uh, you know, absolutely more than welcome to hit me up and I'll, um, you know, just kind of screenshot them and send them to Brandon anyway. <laughs> spam, go spam, me. Spam, spam Brandon with all the your four questions. Uh, but guys, uh, keep them coming because we, are, we do have some really good questions in the bank at the moment. Uh, and the higher the quality of the questions that you guys are asking the better the quality of the answers that we can give. Brandon, thank you so much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope you enjoyed listening. A couple of things to round out. Firstly, if you've yet to subscribe to the Fitness Times Business Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, make sure you do that right now so you don't miss any future episodes. Secondly, if you guys took some value from this episode, the one thing we ask in return is that you share the show. And finally, if you've yet to leave us a five-star rating, make sure you do that before the next episode.